Scripture reading this morning is Ephesians 4, 17 through 32. If you're reading along in your pew Bibles, that can be found on page 978. <clears throat> now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Please rise. Thank you. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. This is God's word. Uh, Please pray with me. God, we thank you for today. We thank you for the chance that we have to to look at your word, uh, to read what you've given us uh, as a challenge to live as Christians in the way that we've been called. Uh, We pray this morning that we would uh, hear from you, that we would accept your word, and Lord, that it would have lasting and meaningful change in us. We pray this in your good and in your precious name, Lord. Amen. So let's start this morning by by thinking uh, one particular thought. Um, Let's say for a moment that God doesn't exist. I know you probably came to church this morning not expecting to hear that. Uh, And that's, just hear me out. But it's a common thought. It's an easy thought. Uh, We know plenty of people who think that, whether they're family members, co-workers, uh, you name it. Much of the world believes exactly that. And I think to a certain extent, many of us still believe that. Now, that's not anything we'd ever say. Uh, We wouldn't outright say, well, God doesn't exist. But I think if we look closely at our own lives what I think we'll eventually come to see is exactly what much of the world comes to see. That as Christians, we believe in a dead and empty gospel, or to put it in other words, we live as if God doesn't exist. So I want to explain, and let's begin by taking a logical look at what I just said. God doesn't exist. If that's true, then everything we do this morning is absolutely pointless. 
So your drive to church today to sit in a well, not terribly crowded room, but on uncomfortable pews, right? You don't think so now. Give it a few minutes. Uh, uncomfortable pews. I had this spiel to talk about how hot uh, it was going to be in here this morning, but, you know, with the glacier and all, it's, uh, it's cooled down a good bit. Um, but you're in a, a room next to 100 different people on a day when it's forecast to be in the 90s, when you are, now, now this is a conservative estimate, an hour away from the Atlantic Ocean, am I right, roughly, traffic, uh, or for those of you who are sensitive to salt or traffic, uh, Kikichuit State Park is 10 miles, 10 minutes, I checked, I've been there, it's wonderful. But you're here this morning. <laughs> Why? I think that's a good question. Um, for the sake of argument, I know that if we're all here, obviously we don't believe that God doesn't exist. But for the sake of argument, let me follow that train of thought. Let me work through it, uh, and we'll see where we end up. So, if God doesn't exist, life is relatively simple. You think about it. We're born by chance, so we're born to particular people in a particular place at a particular time just because it happened that way. Uh, and then after you're born, the rest of your life is just one long pursuit of what every single human pursues before they die. And that's the need to matter. Which sounds strange, but again, let me work through it. Uh, our preaching series right now is focused on the gospel at school, and so I want to start there. Uh, school is the first place for a lot of people that they find they can matter. Now, some kids are miraculously good at schoolwork, and so they do well at schoolwork. They get noticed, and they figure out, well, doing good on tests or doing good on assignments makes, you know, it matters. For other people, they know that if they crack jokes at the right time, if they push the boundaries in class, being funny matters. Uh, for even other people, uh, the certain fortunate few, they're born with just the right genes, they're the most attractive people in class, and for them, looks matter. For the rich kids, money matters. For the tough kids, strength matters. And for those who are miraculously beyond the effects of adolescent awkwardness, being good at stuff, whether it's sports or music, you name it, that stuff matters. Uh, and from your first day in school, who you're with matters. And that's whether it's who you hang out with or who you sneak off after dark with. Those people matter. And it's those things which define you. When people look at you and ask, and ask what makes you matter, what makes you significant, what makes you important, you point to those things that make you special, that make you worthy of being noticed or remembered or, or liked or being asked out, or being picked for a team, or for prom, or for parties. And if you're one of the lucky people who manages to find something that makes you special when you're in high school, you don't just leave it there. You take it with you, uh, whether it's in a college. The, the smart kids, because they're smart, go to important-sounding schools and get important-sounding degrees uh, at schools that'll get them noticed to get them good jobs. 
The rich kids will go to better sounding schools and get better sounding degrees. But beyond that, I couldn't tell you what happens because I don't know anyone like that. (laughs) The pretty kids will go on and get pretty good jobs and they'll be generally pretty happy people because they're still pretty. Um, The guy who dated the head cheerleader and the girl who, who dated that guy who was really good at soccer, they both get married and start families and they're pretty good at what they do and they're pretty proud of it. The funny people keep making jokes because it's just what they do. Uh, That was meant to be funnier, by the way. Uh, (laughs) And you take what makes you special and you cling to that because what makes you special is what gets you noticed. And what gets you noticed is what gets people to think that you are important to a group or to a community or to a position. It's what makes you matter. And it's a matter of value, and what we do makes us valuable. That's why we exercise more than we want to, some of us. Um, That's why we eat things that no human being should ever be forced to eat. Now, cookies are good, but when you start making them with things you should never make them with. Uh, I had a friend who made brownies out of uh, kidney beans. Those aren't brownies. (laughs) Or you start making things with protein powder. And I don't care how much you like protein powder. It doesn't taste good. Or you eat other things that no human should eat, like salad, which is okay, uh, but not as a main dish. It's a side at best. But we try to make as much money as we can and get the most prestigious position can and get the best looking car we can, take the best looking people we can. Um, why? Well, really simply, because in a world that only cares how much we matter, we're constantly trying to prove that we matter. It's this never-ending struggle to say, I'm important. Look at me. Someone care about me. And so we, we treasure those things. We pursue those things. We devote every waking moment of our lives to those things. And then we die. <laughs> Woo! Uh, it's this, this terrible truth that you do these things, you die, and then you hope that someone was so impressed by you that they thought you were worthy of remembering, that they thought you were worthy of of thinking about or that you were significant. That's it. If God doesn't exist, you pursue whatever matters to you, whatever makes you feel good, whatever makes you, you. But if we didn't believe that God exists, we wouldn't be here this morning. So if God does exist, what matters? And that's a good question, and for the answer, we turn to God's Word. So, if you're like me, and on the average Sunday, you open up your Bibles, and uh, then after we read it, you close it, because you thought, what do I have to have this open for when I'm singing? Uh, Open them back up. It's okay. We're going to look at the Scripture, uh, which actually, in your Bibles, it might be easier. I don't know if you noticed this mountain behind me. Uh, I will say it's beautiful. 
But like most mountains, you can't see what's behind them. Um, so if you have difficulty, you can look there uh, or there or over there. Uh, if that's too difficult, feel free to open those paper Bibles in front of you. So, we turn to God's Word, and I want to start with verse 17 of Ephesians 4. It says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They become callous and given themselves up to sensuality, Greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Now, the issue is the foundational belief of the people that Paul's writing to. Uh, Either there is or there is not a God. And it has to be said here that Paul is speaking to a group of Christians. He says at the beginning of the letter to Ephesians, uh, in his greeting, Paul an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, these are good people in Ephesus. They're Christians, saints even. We don't have to come to you know write letters to people now and say, oh, to the saints who are in Weston. Weston people, uh, I don't know what you'd write to a letter in people in Weston. I don't write you letters. Uh, but these are believers. And Paul describes the type of people that they shouldn't be, the Gentiles. Uh, I mean, you just look at his description. He says that they're futile in their minds. They're darkened in their understanding. They're alienated from the life of God. Uh, they're ignorant. They're hard-hearted. They are callous. Uh, They're given up to sensuality, greedy, impure. And from a Christian standpoint, you think, yeah, that sounds pretty bad. (laughs) When you think, the person I'd like to be, you don't write those things down on a sheet of paper. But the thing is, Paul isn't writing to warn against the Gentiles. No, he makes a simple statement. Uh, They are futile in their minds, darkened in their understanding, Uh, And they're alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them, because they're hard-hearted. That's a simple statement. Paul's saying, these people, because they don't believe in God, are simply pursuing the best good that they see. If it's love, they're pursuing love. If it's good deeds, they're pursuing good deeds. They're darkened in their understanding because they don't understand God. That's simple. They're doing what seems best to them, what seems to make them matter. But if we look again at verse 17, uh, Paul says something very interesting. He says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must make, that you must no longer work as the Gentiles do. You being the operating word here. And he goes on to describe the way that people who don't know God, the way they live, and he starts to draw this line in the sand that this is how the people who don't believe in God live. And this over here is the way that people who do believe in God live. 
And it's not just a bunch of shades of gray. It's this black and white line that he draws. There is a way to be in Christ, and there's a way to be outside of Christ. It's that simple. So after describing the Gentiles in verses 17 through 19, Paul goes on to say in verse 20, but that is not the way you learned Christ. He goes on, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, verses 22 through 24 are key. Put off your old self, your former self, your corrupt self, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. The old self denies God and pursues wealth, worth elsewhere. The new self embraces God and finds worth in two things. The first being made in the image of God. And the second one, the weight of God's love for us. Romans 5.8 says, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, being made in God's image has certain implications. Uh, we have an innate dignity, an inherent worth, inherent value. If we are formed in the womb by a God who has bigger and better things to do, but still he cares enough to make sure that we come out all right, that we are living and breathing and complicated organisms who don't just walk around eating things, even if uh, your view of junior high boys says differently, you should see them in the kitchen. Uh, it's, it can be bad. Um, but an understanding of the God of Scripture gives us a clear picture of a God who designed us with a specific purpose. And that's a loving relationship with Him. In the fall, Adam and Eve rebelled and through sin caused this rift between God and mankind. And in that rebellion, in that sin, in that fall, they brought in these terrible things into the human life. That's uh, suffering, sickness, death, loneliness, separation from God, even eternal separation from God. And those are all things that we rightfully deserve because of our sin. That's the simple uh, fact of the matter. But when you think about God choosing to value us and take on the burden of the damage that we did, and not just the simple way saying, poof, it's forgiven, it's gone, but instead living a life without sin, without falling into temptation, dying a death that's worse than many that we can imagine today, all without ever being guilty or deserving it, but instead taking on that punishment, the weight of our sin and our guilt, 
out of love. If that doesn't speak volumes about the extent to which God cares for us, I don't know what does. So what matters to a Christian? What defines us? For people who don't believe in God, well, that's simple. It's what I can achieve, what I can do to make myself matter. But for the Christian, what is it? What matters? What's valuable? What's different? The answer is Christ. We are adopted children, beloved children, and we have no need to go searching after something to make us matter because there's nothing that we could ever do to deserve the value that is already placed on us. Without there being anything particularly unique about me, I matter to God. And so when Paul is testifying to the Ephesians that they have no need to live like the Gentiles, searching for worth and value, he's saying that to know Christ is to find the greatest fulfillment of our search for worth. It's as if he's saying, if you're looking for value, searching to matter, stop. Stop and appreciate what you've already found and you've been overlooking all the while. To keep pursuing the things you used to pursue is worthless, sinful, and ignorant. Now, we've already touched on what makes the difference. Christ. But as we look at the rest of the verses, you can almost see because of Christ added to the beginning of each of these verses. Because that's the reasoning Paul's putting behind it. So I want to go ahead and I want to maybe do that. So, because of Christ, we are to put away falsehood and speak truth with another. It is because of Christ that we are members of one another. Because of Christ, we are to be angry and not sin. Uh, Because of Christ, uh, we're not to let the sun go down on our anger. And because of Christ, we're to give no opportunity to the devil. Because of Christ, the thief should no longer steal. Because of Christ, let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Because of Christ, we're not to let corrupting talk come out of our mouths, but rather because of Christ, to build up other people. And because of Christ, we let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from us along with all malice. And because of Christ, we are to be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, And I don't even need to add that at the end because of Christ, because it says it right there, as God in Christ forgave you. That is the focal point that Paul is hammering on, that he keeps coming back to, that he is pointing to saying, this is the reason that we have new life. This is the reason that our lives should look different. See, in putting away falsehood, And speaking truth, we're allowing Christ to be the foundation of the way we perceive ourselves and others. Rather than trying to find our value in our image or in how well we dress or guard ourselves or or anything like that, our identity in Christ strips the need for that all away. Rather than having to defend our worth through pride or anger, knowing that 
I know how valuable I am, even if they don't. And I'm going to show them just how valuable I am and how much I matter. Instead, it's knowing that this other person that I'm struggling with and I are equally valuable in God's eyes. Jesus didn't die more for me than he did for them. Jesus didn't love me more than he loved them. It doesn't say anywhere in Scripture, for God so loved Lawrence that he gave his one and only son. No, it doesn't say that. Uh, What it says is that Christ loved the world. And Paul loves images. And I was just talking to a friend the other day who has physical therapy uh, for a lot of different things. She's like, man, I hate this. She's like, my shoulder hurts. Then if I don't get my shoulder taken care of, then my back hurts. And then it works from my back down to my knee. And then everything hurts. If you've never broken anything, and I'm pretty sure you have, or you've hurt something because that's humans who are clumsy and dumb and accident prone, uh, (laughs) you know that the body is important. And Paul... uh, He hammers on that point. We're all equally valuable. We have one salvation, one God, one baptism. We're all under the same circumstances with the same Savior. And that doesn't make one of us better than the other. We're equal. That's a beautiful thing. And so it means letting go of the need to feel justified and instead working to restore relationships, to fix rifts within the body. It means focusing less on how much I matter, less on how much more important my needs are. And it means recognizing that I have the greatest value in Christ and have the distinct privilege of giving others the dignity they deserve as children of God by providing for their needs. It means recognizing our shared value as redeemed people, as adopted and beloved children, that when we talk with each other, we show respect and only say what's useful to build up others. We no longer have any need to tear other people down to build ourselves up. Rather, we've already found fulfillment in Christ. And because we've been shown how much we matter by God's grace, we give others grace to show their worth even if they don't know Christ. Why? Because each and every one of us was valued long before we ever knew it. By no work of our own, we matter. As Romans 8, 12 through 17 says, and you don't need to turn there, but, so then, brothers, we are debtors, not to flesh to live according to the flesh. For you, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God, uh, that's sons or daughters, children of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoptions as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. And since we are now children and heirs of God, we have no need 
to try and find worth in the things that those who don't know Christ are constantly running after. We found the true way, the better way, the one way. And so like verse 31 of Ephesians 4, we put away all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander and malice and instead are kind to one another, tender-hearted toward one another, and we forgive one another. Why? Because of Christ. And again, I point to verse 31, as God in Christ forgave you. Now, going back to what I said at the beginning of my sermon, if I asked, we'd quickly say, yeah, I find my identity in Christ. Who I am is built on my relationship with Christ, my faith in Christ. But if we were to try and measure the truth of the gospel by looking at to what extent it changes us, in so many ways it shows we believe in this dead and empty gospel. If we believe in the true gospel, in a life-changing gospel, in a world-altering gospel, then we can't keep living as if the gospel does not teach the sufficiency of Christ. My worth in Christ is greater than financial worth. My worth in Christ is greater than social worth, than academic worth, than physical worth, sexual worth, professional worth, worth to a person or an organization or to a community or name anything you like. And the gospel proclaims that the only thing that matters in this life or in the next life is Christ. If everything we will ever need is found in Christ, what more is there to look for? Paul is writing to Christians to tell them exactly what they needed to hear, what we today still need to hear. We have an innate need to matter. Without God, we pursue whatever we can to find that sense of being wanted, of being needed, uh, significant, loved. But in Christ, we already have all the worth we could ever hope to find. There's no longer any need to seek a worth in this world. We already have it. Any area of your life that you continue to find worth in apart from Christ is a declaration that you can find your own worth, that you can do it on your own, that the gospel isn't the life-giving, life-changing good news that it claims to be, that Christ isn't as all-sufficient as Scripture claims him to be. You must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. And so to bring this back, you might be asking, well, that's all all well and good. How does this apply to me? Well, if our theme is the gospel at school. When I was in school, uh, you learn a lot of things that I don't think teachers ever intend for you to learn. Like you learn that, uh, well, first of all, uh, people are going to find one way to matter whether it's uh, being the smart kid or being the dumb kid. 
which I don't know why anyone thinks being the dumb kid is really the best way to go. Uh, or being the good-looking kid, or being the kid who doesn't get along with other people, but you make that part of your identity, and that's never made sense to me either. Um, but for myself, when I was in high school, I had this, this point in time when I came to the realization, for different groups of people, I've become this different person. Why? Because when I go around these other groups of people, what they value is different. So to the athletic kids, I was the football player. To the smart kids, I got A's, at least until a point when I realized getting A's wasn't everything, which maybe is actually a bad realization to come to in school uh, <laughs> because I just stopped trying as hard, uh, which, by the way, is a bad method to use going into college. Uh, <laughs> if you're going to pay for school, do well at it. Um, but I came to this realization, who, who am I? Am I this football player? Am I this... I knew I wasn't a popular kid, but I wanted to be. I tried to be. Uh, or was I this kid who went to youth group and was trying to find his faith in Christ, and I kept thinking, I don't know who I am. And then you try calling other people, like, who am I? They're like, your name's Larry. And I went by Larry instead of Lawrence, but now I sound more like an adult. So, And I don't generally make a lot of jokes, but for some reason in front of the pulpit, I make all kinds of jokes even if it's just a music stand. Um, but I had to come to the realization that I don't know who I am. I don't know what my identity is. I've been trying to find my identity in all these things in a relationship that was really, really unhealthy and was leading me further from Christ, uh, in friendships that were constantly dragging me down and pulling me away from Christ, where to be a Christian was kind of the dumb thing to do. I remember one time I was in the locker room for football, football practice and one of the popular guys was like, what, are you a Christian or something? Which, thinking about it, it's kind of a weird question. And if, you know, at first, I thought, I should say yes. But what came out of my mouth? I'm like, no. And I hated that. So I thought, who am I claiming to be? And if I, who am I claiming to be? How am I living? And am I living what I think I believe? And the thing is, as Christians, we have this weird way of doing things that I, I, fed, I said it to a few people and they liked it, so I'm going to keep saying it, uh, but eBay Christianity. You've all gone on eBay. If you haven't gone on eBay, that's okay. Uh, but you go on eBay because you're like, I have something that I want. And you know exactly what you want. And the thing is, you're going to go on eBay because you don't want to get a, go to a store to buy it. Because if you wanted to go to a store to buy it, you'd probably have more money than you do. But what you do is you go on eBay to get exactly what you want for as little as you can pay. And the thing is, with our Christian faith, we want exactly what God has. We want his love and we want his forgiveness. But we have this idea that I can get all that, but what's the least that I can pay? What's the smallest cost to get those things? And so we build a faith that says, yeah, I like the idea of God's love and his forgiveness, and his acceptance. But then we push out all these things about repentance and living a new life in the new self. Or we have this idea like, well, I kind of like morals. I think living well is a good thing. So we take those things and uh, we forget the thing that even morals without love are worth nothing. And so we, we form this gospel that when other people look at us and think, okay, if these guys if their life is the evidence of what the gospel can do in me, that's not what I want. Because they see people who want 
to say, yes, I'm a Christian, but are unwilling to actually give anything of themselves to become the person that Christ is calling them to be. And so we have this distinct privilege as Christians to be accepted by Christ, to be loved by Christ. We have this beautiful and wonderful thing in front of us where we can finally find what we've been constantly searching for, whether it's through relationships or whether it's through sex or whether it's through finances or positions or titles or houses or things that we can make or things that we can earn or things that we can get that make us look valuable to everyone else when we already have Christ. And if that was such a beautiful and wonderful thing, Why isn't that showing through in our lives to the people who don't know Christ? At what point can we put this idea that look at me, everybody, look at how much I matter. When you, instead of saying, look at how much God matters. Paul says, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. In the futility of their minds, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Embrace your life in Christ, your worth in Christ. Find your identity in Christ and in Christ alone. We have the gospel, the good news of life and fullness in Christ. Don't cheat yourself. Don't waste one more moment searching for value you will never find. And allow Christ to change every facet of who you are as you come to realize more and more who you are to him. Let's pray. God, we thank you for today. We thank you for the truth of your word that you, instead of leaving us in the mess that we made for ourselves, you saw us as valuable. You saw us as worthy of love. God, without you, we're nothing. Without you, we can't do anything. Without you, we have no hope, no joy. But it's in realizing who you are as the great and mighty God who created everything that exists that took the time not only to mold us and shape us, but to display the greatest love that has ever been shown in human history in sending Christ who came and lived and died and rose again, that we could have life in him and that we could see the wonders of your love. God, work in us. Help us to see the ways in which we're still clinging to what we can do and what we can earn and the ways that we can find value. Help us to push that away, knowing that we have found the goal, that we have reached it, that we are there, that we have all the value we could ever need or ever want in you. God, help us to understand your love, to grow deeper into that love 
and every day to be reminded of it and overwhelmed by it. God, work in us. We pray that the people around us would see who you are by the love that permeates us, that flows out of us because we're finding it at its source, because our worth is found at its source. God, be given the glory that you alone deserve. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.